0: The of the Sacred Feminine, and uh, you can use us as your clock if you're listening live. Uh, It is 11 a.m. Pacific on a Wednesday, just in case you needed to know. And uh, a shout-out to Celia. That was her music you were listening to this morning, and uh, that cut was called Meta Prayer. Thank you, Celia, and all the other artists who appear on the show, Uh, Alea Deo, Diva Haley, Abigail Spinner McBride, and, uh, all the rest and uh, also to my roving reporter Pat I want to thank you for sending me great articles that I sometimes share so anyway um, just a little bit of housekeeping uh, before we start today's show um, which is uh, titled uh, themed uh, 365 days of goddess the magic of daily practice with Molly Rimmer and um, I just wanted to say if you have any show ideas or interview ideas please send them a long, if you want to run commercials about your work or your event, commercials are very affordable and I mean very and um you know and if there's anything you think uh, would make this show better, don't hesitate to contact me i've toyed with the idea of taking callers uh, that 's one of the things that 's niggling at the back of my mind and um I'm not sure that would work so much though, because I think most of you listen uh, at your convenience. Uh, you know, when you're doing dishes or folding clothes or driving in the car, and uh, I don't think you always listen live. So I don't know if uh, callers would be a good idea. But anyway, let me hear from you. Uh, and if you're new to the show, uh, this uh, this voice on the other end here, I'm Karen Tate, and uh, this is where my guests and I discuss all the things. My little mama and uh, Uh, You know, the the Bible Belt of the South told me to never discuss at the dinner table. Uh, It was sex, power, religion, politics. Uh, Nope, those were never things we were supposed to discuss at the dinner table. In fact, those were things women shouldn't discuss at all. But, you know, that was her day, not ours. Uh, We have to uh, unlock our transformational toolkit and empower ourselves and learn these long-hidden truths uh, from our home altar to the voting booth. And I say, you know, it doesn't serve us uh, to not talk about these things. We have to be at the table in the conversation and I love to have those conversations here it is my guilty pleasure to be the one asking the questions and um, today I will be doing just that as I have been for the last decade or so Uh, you can find all of those great archives at voices uh, of of voices of the sacred feminine at uh, blog talk radio and um, while it would take you a long time to get through all of those shows over the past decade and uh, there relevant today is when they aired so think about that uh, when you're looking for some uh, something new um, you know maybe to listen to Uh, but anyway uh, today's show uh, as I said is 365 days of goddess the magic of daily practice with Molly Reamer and um, Molly You know, she wears many hats like so many of us women today. She is a priestess, a mystic, a poet. Uh, She hails from Missouri. She's the author of, of 10 books. 10, 10, 10, and a big fan of making a devotion, a daily practice, and savoring the everyday enchantment that comes from that routine, uh, and, you know, in spite of all those accomplishments, she's also a wife, a mother, uh, she's going to tell us how she manages to make space uh, for the sacred in the middle of her busy life, as well as give us some simple rituals we might use ourselves to spice it up, you know, at our home altar, and, um, You know getting a little bit more serious you know we're going to talk about what priestessing looks like these days and yes priestessing is a verb so molly welcome to the show thank you so much i'm so happy to be here well i'm glad to have you back Um, as we were chatting about before uh, we went live uh, you were here a long time ago uh, talking about woman runes so uh, if people are, you know, really happy about our interview today, they need to go back and dig through those archives and find uh, what we said way back then about uh, that project of yours.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, that's right.
2: <laughs> and that was Woman Ruins so, was my first book, so there's been a lot of, a lot has happened since then. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah you know um, I, I wonder how you know if you think about this um i mean i uh, my my second book that got published was walking an ancient path and believe it or not back then when it came out i think 2005 2006 you didn't audit the publishers didn't automatically do an e-book so an e-book was never done of walking an ancient path and i was uh, next year, probably going to release an e-book uh, with a, I guess you call it an epilogue. You know, it's like what's happened, you know, what has changed for you as a priestess in the community, you know, in these last 15 or 20 years. Um, I wonder if you've had the you know, the, the idea maybe you should do the same thing. I mean, have you found that over the years you've changed dramatically or the community's
2: changed dramatically that you feel it warrants commenting on? I do feel like there's been a lot of change, and even just with with uh, publishing, I know that when I first started with writing, it was a, definitely a much more cumbersome prog- process. It's gotten easier and easier to publish books, and the resources are much much uh, more significant. And I have gone back. I the, the Woman Room's book, which was originally published in 2000 and. Uh, 14 i did do a second edition of it because i felt like enough had happened and i'd added enough content that i needed to do a second edition but some of my other books i find even since 2014 there has there has been a lot that's changed and sometimes i want to like go back almost and then other times i've just had to realize like this was this was written at a specific time when specific things were true and when this is what felt, you know, this is what felt like I wanted to present and I'm just going to be okay with that. I'm just going to be okay with letting it exist in the world as it exists because it represents one chapter and now we're many chapters later and that's okay. And so I let go of feeling like I needed to update or or revise or add to them and I just keep my bio current so if you read the first book it's gonna look the the bio at the end is gonna look different than if you read the 11th book <laughs> and and that's just okay that's just okay but the pu- publishing process I used to use um, like uh, Microsoft publisher to to format my books and it's such a cumbersome program that I can't convert those books into digital formats. they don't convert they don't convert into a Kindle book So basically, from this point forward, my books all come out as a Kindle edition but the ones that were published essentially prior to about 2020 are not on digital edition just because the conversion process is not a one-to-one. It's not a one-to-one conversion, that's possible. Yeah, because you you would be put in a position of have to retype the whole book, right? Essentially, yes, essentially, yes. And I've tried different things and then it ends up with a bunch of weird characters, a bunch of question marks suddenly show up in the middle instead of apostrophes. And I have thought, you know, it is okay to just let things be and kind of roll, you know, the wheel keeps on turning change keeps on unfolding and I will just keep on rolling with the wheel instead of trying to go back that's actually one of the things I say about daily practice which is the topic of our conversation today is that one of the powerful gifts I find of daily practice is that we're invited every day to begin again each day is a new start and we can start from where we are and we don't need to go backwards we don't need to rewind we don't need to catch up we start from where we are and that can be a hard lesson I mean that. I have to remind myself of that often because I do want to go back, fix it, change it, you know, whatever. Instead, we start from where we are right here, right now. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's comforting,
2: you know, that you're you're
0: saying that because it allows for imperfection, you know, and um, and especially today when so much of what we do isn't just in a small circle in our living room, you know, it's now you know out there on um, I don't know YouTube or TikTok or uh, mm-hmm. it's in a book or it's uh, you know it's it uh, you know we, we're we're so much more visible. You know, than than yeah. we used mm-hmm. to be because we have so many more, um, you know, options to uh, share what we do, and um, mm-hmm. it can be intimidating.
2: But you know, that really sort of takes the pressure off. It does. I have found it really helpful. And I also find uh, something that's interesting, and you may find this as well when you go back into your own show's archives, is that when I do reread my old pieces and my old work and I look back at things that I've written 10 years ago or things that I used to say, I do find a remarkable level of internal consistency and like continued consistent messaging that carries through, even if I feel like, wow, things have changed so much in the last 10 years or the last 15 years. I'm a totally different person than I was. I will go back and read things that I wrote 10 years ago and think, oh, yeah, actually still true. (laughs) Still true. (laughs) Still, still is right. Still resonates. And maybe my experience of the world has continued to grow, evolve, expand, deepen, you know, I've continued to, my, my life has changed, but there's a remarkable internal consistency actually to, what I've said and practiced and shared over the years. And I think I I would, I I imagine you probably find that with your own work too, with walking ancient path. I have that book, by the way, very good one. I still enjoy it. And it is, uh, I, I imagine that if you go back to that book, well, you might want to update some things. There still is a really strong core of, there's still a really strong core to it that withstands the test of time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we may be older and wiser and have more experience, but – Huh. Mm-hmm. You know, we hope, uh, you know, we hope readers will, um, you know, just, uh, you know, give us the benefit of the doubt that we've evolved over time. And, you yeah. know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll go back and I'll read old stuff and I'll go, God damn, I was, you know, that sounded pretty good. I sounded smart. Yes. Like I knew what in the heck I was talking about. <laughs> yes.
2: I've thought that before, too. I'm like, wow, I really had something figured out. Like I need to reread this and see if I can remember yeah. what I used to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. Gee I, gee, I really said something smart there. That's right. Good thing I got it documented. Exactly. <laughs> that's
2: right. I need to like, remember this. <laughs>
0: so um so tell me um you know before you know maybe for the newbies out there or or you know for those people who haven't really thought about it in this context define what you mean by everyday magic because i think when people hear the word magic they expect something really profound like you know something they'll
2: see on cgi created on tv you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like to emphasize is that we all love those moments of flash and fire, right? Like the, excite, the the big moments of illumination and the dawning insights and the encounters with the sacred and like mysticism and kind of the moments of flash and fire. But a life is made in the small moments, in the step-by-step, step, the day-by-day, day, the moment-by-moment, moment, those breaths of grace that we experience. And the small sacred pauses where we notice that the trees, the mulberry leaves on the tree are turning yellow where we notice the praying mantis on the rose bush where we notice the crow in the sky those small moments of everyday magic that open the door i find to a daily experience of like of a living magic of living spirituality of a living enchantment a daily experience with ordinary awe the small moments. So when I speak of everyday magic, I am meaning those things that we see and encounter and bear witness to and that we are invited to step into every single day, even the ones that are very small. So moments of flash and fire can exist in every in every life. But each day I find holds a small moment of enchantment, a small kernel of beauty, a small moment of magic. And I really have made it my life's work and my life's practice to be alert for those moments. So I think sometimes we can get discouraged that we don't have time for a big fancy full moon ritual or we don't have a a circle of... Of you know twenty amazing women to circle with under the on, on each holiday, which I actually luckily do have a circle of amazing women. But you know we might imagine that we're going to have access to these kinds of resources, and then we feel discouraged or small that our own life doesn't look as magical or enchanted as it does on somebody else's Instagram or somebody else's TikTok, for example. And we think, oh, well, yeah. since I have this small, ordinary, normal life, how can I experience magic? <laughs> because my life right, is right. you know, all full of right. crystals and crystals power. And so I find <laughs> for myself, I really do. I look for the magic moment. I've kept a magical moment note in my journal every day for five, at least five years where I write down something magical that I saw that day. And I have yet to miss a day in five years of seeing something magical. And like I said, it can be small. It can be that you looked up, you were on your way to the mailbox, and you looked up and you saw that sliver of crescent moon like at just the right moment. And it's shining silver up there in the sky above the mailbox. Or it can be the yellow mulberry leaves, et cetera. But I, I find it is, a, is both a challenge, like a self-challenge. And a devotional practice to be alert for those moments of everyday magic. So I think there's magic all around us at all times. And it's that ordinary current of the sacred that underlies all of our lives. And each day we're invited to dip our toes into that current and experience it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think um, I think when we do that, it puts us, uh, it sets the tone. I think it also Mm -hmm. puts us in a place of gratitude, um, and Mm -hmm. you know, makes us feel like we're part of the sacred. I think it really does shift our consciousness, and uh, and Mm -hmm. I think that's important
2: yes absolutely and I do also find like if I get to the end of the day and I feel stale and crumbled you know we all have days where we feel stale and crumbled and like there is no enchantment and what are you even talking about and on days like that I step outside and I look for a bird you can almost always see a bird somewhere doing something (laughs) when I feel like I've gotten to the end of the day and I haven't had anything magical happen I will go outside and look for a bird and I'm like at least I can have that
0: (laughs) yeah yeah well you know I will I will share a secret with with you and with listeners. You know, mm-hmm. when I was young and a green priestess, I wanted that. What did you call it? The fire and what? Fire I call and moments of flash and
2: flash and fire. Flash and
0: fire. <laughs> yeah, I was leading a tour to Greece, and um, I had worked so hard to keep this group together to have enough people to make the tour. And I mean, I felt like it was an Amazonian effort. And you know, when we were going to go to Greece and we were going to honor the goddess, and she was going to. Smile down on us, and I gotta say, I'm, I, I you know, I, I guess I should just giggle about it now. But I, I feel kind of sheepish. I thought she was going to reward me with uh, a vision. Oh. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I have to tell you that vision didn't come, uh, but I did have a very magical thing that happened when I got home. You know, sort of after the fact, I had lost a piece of jewelry uh, on that trip. It was a beautiful silver silver unicorn, uh, you know, that wrapped its legs around this blue stone, and I took it off during the trip because the unicorn horn kept um, catching every piece of clothes I wore, and it was a, it became a new I shouldn't have brought it with me to begin with, and I I put it away in my luggage carefully, and uh, during the trip, I lost it. It was gone. I probably unpacked my luggage. Um, I don't know uh, five or ten times, you know in the course of the you know the 24-day tour When I got home and unpacked and you know put everything away And you know took the dirty clothes to be washed and blah 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 the ring was gone I was sick over it and I gotta tell you a few days later This is going to sound bizarre people are going to think Karen's a nut job that ring showed uh-huh. up on my Isis altar so oh, my goodness <laughs> Now, yeah. that was, well, the, you know, that was pretty incredible, and I, that's not everyday magic, but I don't mm-hmm. know how that happened, you know, and right. um, I I almost feel funny saying it publicly because people either might not believe it or think I'm, you know, should be in a rubber room somewhere, but that <laughs> ring was gone, you know, and yeah. I, I don't know, I, yeah. I felt like, I felt like I got the, I, I got the magic after the trip, you know, yeah. Um. But,
2: Well, and that's, I I don't know, have you you ever had anything like that happen? Well, that's, I was, I'm going to, I have two, two things I'd like to say. One is that I do feel like part of, and that's why I think I feel so passionate about daily practice, like what's so important about daily instead of monthly, weekly, et cetera, is because every day, if you step out like alert for enchantment you will have both kinds of moments you will have the small the small and the everyday and the ordinary and you also have the moments of flash and fire like they will be there too and part of the daily is about showing up every day for whatever unfolds whether it's big and magical and unexplainable like the ring on the altar or whether it is you know snails snails on the raspberry bushes that catch your eye but you're putting yourself kind of into the path of magic, so to speak. Like you're stepping out and stepping in and putting yourself into that path of magic. And uh, so when you were talking about the that story, I was thinking about an experience that I had as well uh, where I was thinking – because one of my special topics of interest is devotion and devotional practice. And I was walking on the beach. I love to go to the beach. I, don't, I live in central Missouri. There is no beach here. But I do travel to the beach as often as I can. And uh, I love to find big shells. I love big shells. I love moon snail shells in particular, which are like the big round spiral shells. They're my favorite shell ever. And I was walking on the beach one day looking for the shells and thinking, almost and i had this thought this parallel like you i can't you can't expect a reward for devotion necessarily like just because i show up in my life every day just because i'm here walking on the beach searching for shells doesn't necessarily mean i quote unquote deserve to find one like you don't always get a reward for devotion you don't always get the the vision that you thought you were going to see and so i was walking on the beach and i was thinking like uh, it's not necessary to expect a reward for devotion. Devotion is its own path. And it was the full moon, and we'd gone out to the beach early, so it, the full moon was actually setting, and we were walking, and there was a, I saw a fox on the dunes. And we were going along, and I was thinking the thought of, there's no reward for devotion. And as I would stepping there, I, or we, were, we were on the path, or not the path, we were on the sand and we went to step forward and my husband's foot came down almost on top of this giant moon snail shell, just my favorite kind, buried in the sand on the full moon on this misty beach walk morning. Right when I was thinking that I didn't need a reward for devotion, there was a reward for devotion right there beneath my feet. So that was one of those magical kind of moments of like, wow, it's this exact day at this exact moment at this exact full moon, there's this exact shell right beneath, beneath my feet. So that was one of my moments. Right, so right. Well, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, and you kind of alluded to it as well, you know, talking about devotion, you know, which kind of mm-hmm. makes me think about ritual. You know, another mistake mm-hmm. I used to make when I was a young priestess was I used to be so caught up in, you know, we learned about all the steps of a ritual right mm-hmm. and being an analytical Virgo I used to get so caught up in okay am I doing all the steps and am I doing it right and do I have the you know the right am I in the right direction for the right corner and am I saying the words right so much so that I wasn't in the energy of the ritual I was all mm-hmm. in my left brain you know and I felt like if I didn't do this ritual you know that that was this um, you, you know this a to z kind of a ritual structure that i, I wasn 't doing it right it wasn't worthy of of mm-hmm. of goddess because she deserved the ultimate right and i and mm-hmm. i and I think maybe sometimes i didn't do as many rituals or do as much devotion because it took so much energy to you know to, yes. to do that whole elaborate Thing. to do it right. And kind of. I'm looking yeah. back on it. Yes, yes. I think you're looking back on it. That was such a mistake. I think I was overthinking mm-hmm.
2: it. And I, tell me what, tell me your thoughts on all that yeah so one of the things that i have said and written before is that i feel like life makes its own ceremonies for us every day and sometimes i mean it doesn't it doesn't it makes it makes a ceremony life weaves its own ceremonies kind of countlessly outside our doors and it's sort of up to us to notice that so not that they're not that life itself is weaving the ceremony for us but the ceremony is almost like it's already in progress and it's up to us to step out and see it so the setting sun the rising sun the way the wind is blowing the way the rain is falling what's actually happening so you mentioned that about the directions and you know getting it right one of the things i find is extremely powerful spiritual practice and and a way of stepping into when i say the ceremony that life is weaving right now is to step outside or even just look out a window and see what is happening in the north in your life right now not north associated with the earth and its color is green and all this kind of stuff but what do you see in your north in your own place right now what do you see in your west what do you hear you know if I hear crows in the east That's the ceremony that life is weaving right now is crows to the east and mulberry trees to the north and cedar trees to the east and um, sun to the south. And that's the ceremony that we're invited to step into. So I really find it a powerful practice to look at, to step into your own world, your own place, right where you are and see like what is, what ceremony is underway right now? What can I step into right now? What can I learn from right now? What is this landscape and this day teaching me right now? And it is some of the most powerful rituals and ceremonies and experiences that I've had have been in stepping into that, stepping into what's actually already unfolding. I had an experience on the winter solstice where I w- I laid out my blanket in the field and I was going to do this ritual and I had my different journals and all this kind of stuff. And instead I just laid on my back in the field and listened to what was happening like in each direction, what's happening in the north, what's happening in the east. You know, I noticed the birds. And then when I sat up, the sun was the solstice sun was setting and it was coming through the trees in such a way that the sun ray went right through the hands of my little goddess sculpture that I had on my blanket and pointed like right there, just like it was stonehenge, you know, and it's not stonehenge. It's just my blanket. It's just my little figurine there. (laughs) But the sensation of being like this, was a ceremony of life herself, and it was taking place whether I was there to see it or not, and I happened to be there and open my eyes and see that sunbeam coming through, so I'm not suggesting that the sun, like, did that for me. I'm suggesting that it was my responsibility to open my eyes and see what was already present, (laughs) what was already happening, and then to participate, to participate in the ritual that was, like, unfolding before me. But I do have a thought yeah, about yeah. the over-planning as a parent. And so you've mentioned that about being uh, about motherhood and things like that at the very beginning. And so I have four kids, and the oldest one is now 20, and the youngest one is n- almost nine. So he'll be nine on um, at the end of this month. And so that's a big range. I have a big range of kids. I've got a 9-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 20-year-old. And we have always had family rituals and ceremonies together for years and years one of the first winter solstice rituals i ever did was immediately before i conceived that first son and i wrote down a little seed dream that said i'd like to have my first baby and i put it in the box on my winter solstice 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 altar and he was born on the fall equinox the next year and so rituals are powerful rituals are powerful be careful what you wish for no Uh, but the uh (laughs) So since that time, that was my first. That was the first ritual that I did in a in a sense of like family context. So I had no children, but I had wished for this first baby, and I rolled up that paper uh, as my seed dream that I planted, so to speak, into this little ritual box on my altar uh, on the winter solstice. And then, like I said, he was born on the autumn equinox the following year. And since that time, I've always honored this seasons and the wheel of the year with my kids and I've done all kinds of different rituals and, and ceremonies with my kids. But what I found was as, and this goes back to what you were talking about as well, is that I used to get really attached to, I had all the stuff to read and I had this vision of how I wanted it to be, you know, so I wanted the kids to, pay attention and to sing the songs that I wanted and I wanted them to like pass the candles or you know whatever it is that I wanted them to do I would get very attached to like the vision of what I thought a family ritual should look like and so then they would laugh or they'd make a joke or they'd talk when I was trying to teach them a song or something would happen and I'd have this sensation of they're ruining the match you know they're ruining the ritual and it took me longer than it should have probably to figure out that. I didn't actually need to plan out a vision of how it how it needed to look. The the magic happened with taking the time to honor where we were in that wheel of the year, to look at the changing season, and to see what was happening, and to. See And to take some time out as a family to hold hands, and sing our song, and offer what we could offer. And so I eliminated. It's interesting as the kids got older and actually better able to handle scripted type of ritual. I completely abandoned having an outline or a vision of what the ritual is going to look like. Instead, it's like this is it's the autumn equinox. We're stepping outside. I usually have something that I've done. Like I'll have a little, you know, handful of cornmeal or a, or, um, a acorn for everybody to hold or something like that but i let the ritual come from the moment come from the the group and we and come from the experience that we're sharing together so if we laugh or if we try to on the equinox we always try to stand on one leg you know to see how we balance on uh, on one (laughs) leg and then we reach out our hands to each other and see how when you reach out to somebody else your balance gets way better when you're holding on to each other you can stand up on one leg lots easier and I and so if we laugh or if somebody falls down or if something um, goes quote unquote wrong, it becomes part of the it becomes part of the magic, part of that family magic. And so I realized I had to just strip it way back. It had to be much simpler than I ever thought it needed to be, and it needed to be a lot more spontaneously based on. Who was actually right there in front of me, and not these imagined children that I had, you know, sitting there making beeswax animals and and uh, communing with nature? It had to be based on the exact on the children <laughs> that I actually had and the life I was actually living. And our rituals became right. much more fulfilling when I kept when the simpler I made them, the more fulfilling the connection is. And I also found yeah. that I could yeah. do some work first. I could set up my altar space first. I could make my mandala. I could offer a prayer. I could light my candles and then invite them to join me. So there wasn't so much pressure on creating the perfect setting, I could do some things first for myself that felt more peaceful and um, contemplative. And then I could invite the raucous hordes out (laughs) to be laughing and crying down at the same time. But we've been singing forever. I just love seeing my sons. You know, my sons are 17 and 20, and they'll anoint each other's head with oil and say, you know, I bless you with creativity and joy. And I love seeing how that's part of their lives and how they interact with, with each other and with the world, that they will sing together at 17 and 20, I find that really powerful. Well,
0: and Molly, you know, I I can imagine people are listening to you and thinking, wow, the fact that she even gets her kids to do that with her and it sounds like they enjoy it and they're willing – wow, that's magic. That's magic right there. <laughs> it is. Uh, it
2: you, is. Know,
0: you know, nix the perfection, mix the performance. Um, I mean, you know, you've really hit on something that obviously your family loves to do together and, um, um, you know, what, what a thing to aspire to, you know, but you started them young, so you can, you know, you kind of
2: got them in the routine, I would imagine. It's true, and we do. We say the same. We say a little prayer at the end. We put our hands on each other's backs, and we say, may Goddess bless and keep us. May wisdom dwell within us. May we create peace. And we just, that's the same little prayer we say at every ritual we ever do and have said together for so many years that I can't remember when we first started doing it. And like I said, my oldest son is 20. He'll put his hand on our backs, and he'll say, may Goddess bless and keep us, just like I do, because it is part of their lives. It is part of their lives, and it's something that they will. And I've found that the more normal you, act like something is, the less uh, the less silly people will be about it. So if you're like, right, this is what we do. You know, it's the, it's the autumn equinox. We're going to offer our prayer. We're going to drum our little drum. We're going to sing We Are a Circle together. And they join in when there isn't a lot of pressure of performance or pleasing. And I feel like in the early days when I'd have a fancier winter solstice ritual or something, then they would know that they'd like disappointed me or let me down because they didn't participate the way I had hoped. And so when I scaled it back and I just responded to, you know, who, who do I actually have? right here it, it got a lot better it got a lot better for all of us where we were where it's something that we share and look forward to and even the um, so the 17 year old is a little more gruff than my other kids but he has even said within recent memory within the last couple of years when we're offering gratitude on a autumn equinox ritual he'll say I'm thankful for having a mom who will do things like this with us oh wow okay. I love that and it must make you feel so good
0: well, look, we're going to, I have the commercial break here, but when we come okay. back, I want to talk about two of your ten books, and they're, um, and, you know, they're about what we're talking about. I want to talk about the uh, Thirty Days of Goddess. I want to know how that came to be, and then your most recent book, Three Hundred and Sixty Five Days of Goddess. So, um, you know, be thinking about that uh, while I uh, share a word uh, from Joe Corson with listeners.
1: Hello. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about henges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water, and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast, and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com.
0: Okay. and I want to tell everyone about a few things that are happening um, besides uh, that, uh, that wonderful book out there uh, that uh, folks uh, might want to be sure they have in their library. Um, on October 21st, uh, over a thousand women around the world are going to be coming together in a unified field of sacred ceremonies within the Thousand Goddesses Gathering Global Grid. Uh, collectively, uh, we'll be helping to fulfill the Tibetan prophecy which states that when a thousand goddesses or Tibetan Taras unite then the tone of our sacred earth will shift from fear to compassion. So if that's Sounds like something you might be interested in. You want to go to the website one thousand goddesses.net and one thousand uh, is using the numeric figures one zero 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 goddesses plural dot one thousand goddesses, and I'm quite excited to be a sponsor, um, well a partner and a supporter in you know to the global divine feminine grid, and invite you to be a part of it too. Uh, if you go to the website, you can find out. Uh, Um, you know, where uh, people around the world are going to be holding these events, there might be one in your neighborhood, Uh, I think you can also attend virtually. Uh, If you're here in Grants Pass, um, I'm going to be doing a little attunement to the grid uh, before my um, sacred places of goddess uh, talk and slideshow uh, so uh, if this calls to you uh, you know please go take a look at the thousand net. Um, you know learn what's happening understand uh, see if you resonate with it and you know take part in whatever way you're able and you know uh you can do it at your own home altar like um you know we're talking about today with Molly you know it doesn't have to be a big elaborate thing if you want to be a part of this uh you can do it yourself as a solitary and it's just as legitimate and meaningful Uh, As if you were with uh, 20 people you know in a temple or something like that so don't disregard um, you know the simplicity of just doing it yourself at your home altar and uh, also if you're looking for a goddess tour uh, I want to tell you about the one that's coming up in Mexico November 6th through 8th Um, there's going to be a sacred feminine women's gathering in magical San Miguel de Allende Mexico Um, and That is a beautiful small city which uh, was voted uh, Travel and Leisure's most enchanting destination in Mexico this year. And a group called Calling the Circle will have ceremony with Native facilitators, speakers uh, who share goddess wisdom, smaller sister discussion groups, journaling, sound healing, and collaborative creative experiences. Uh, Their intention is to connect, inspire empower and celebrate the divine feminine and all those gathered so uh, they say join them as they connect with the essence of goddess wisdom learn from women considered inspirational leaders in their fields and explore topics that include sacred feminine spirituality ancient matriarchal cultures ritual creativity and the visionary path into this new time Uh, they you know, say this event will be a time to nourish and transform yourself and our world, uh, you know, at this time of deep awakening. So visit the website to find out more or to register, and that website is sacredfemininecircle.com, sacredfemininecircle.com. Okay, so um, if uh, you just tuned in late, uh, I am talking to Molly Reamer. Um, you know, a goddess advocate extraordinaire, a lady who can do it all, uh, 10 books under her belt, rituals, newsletter, mother, wife, um, uh, you know, she is definitely a mentor for our times. And, uh, Molly, you know, we've been talking about doing ritual and uh, daily practice uh, let's start with uh, the shorter version, of the 30-day version. How did um, 30 Days of Goddess, one of your ten books, how did that come to be?
2: Okay. So just to clarify, 30 Days of Goddess is actually a, pr- a devotional practice that I created. So it's not actually a book. It is a, pr- it is a monthly practice. And then 365 Days of Goddess is the book that came out of that practice. So 30 Days Got of Goddess. It continues to evolve and expand and and uh, new developments keep being created for it every month and then that rolls out at 30daysofgoddess.com. The basic practice is always free and so I, cre- I create new materials for that every month. And then the 365 Days of Goddess book really supports that practice as a it kind of brings it together into a daily devotional reader. But 30 Days of Goddess as a practice really started in December of 2020 I was feeling very I'm, we know that 2020 was a rough year, right? And I got in uh, 2020, 2021, 2022, there's been several rough years in a row. But I arrived, it was right before the winter solstice in 2020. And I woke up one morning and I thought I had just written, I had just published my second goddess devotional called Whole and Holy. And I had been thinking about ways to kind of help promote that book. And I was thinking about like, how do I, one of the number one questions i get from people is i have this sense of the goddess you know, i have this sense of the sacred i have this scent i have this curiosity i have this this sense you know she's dancing on the edges of my consciousness how do i actually experience it how do i bring this sensation how do i bring this hint that i feel how do i bring it into my real life like i i am interested in the goddess i'm interested in the spiritual path but what do i actually do i how do i feel it how do i engage how do i connect so it's december of 2020 i wake up in the morning and i suddenly thought to myself Thirty days of goddess. I'm going to do a, day, a daily devotional practice. I was very busy. The December is a very we we have an Etsy shop and the holiday season is extremely busy for us. I didn't really have enough time to create something new from scratch, but I really felt like it was a goddess lightning strike of inspiration. Like it dropped into my open hands and I was ready to receive it. And so I thought if I take people through this simple daily devotional practice and. That will give them that answer to, I want to feel this. I want to connect. But how? How do I actually do it? What do I do? So I ran down to the woods, which is my sacred space and where I've received inspiration for most of my books. I sat there on the rock. I thought of 30 words, and I thought I will use these as a prompt. there will be a prompt for every day. So, you know, one word is connect, one word is breath, one word is receive, you know, whatever the words are. I thought of 30 words, and I thought I'll make this little prayer book that goes with it, a little companion book that people can write down their magical moments that they witness. They can put in a little prayer. They can pause. They can pause with themselves in the sacred and basically bear witness to what there is to see what do I see here and feel today and how can and, and what's happening in my world so I made the words I made the little book I made a 20 minute audio explaining my vision for this practice. And um, decided I was going to offer it in January of 2021. And so basically, I thought it was going to be a one-month thing. I was going to offer this devotional practice. And we just passed 1,000 days of continuous practice in September. (laughs) Like, I started it. Wow. And so from that – from that devotion, that daily practice, and that that uh, sharing those things. So I write an affirmation every morning that I share with people on my Facebook page, and I and um, I have prayers that I offer, and I have and we create and I create in this little prayer book journal that I made, which has gone through many evolutions since that first since that first December that I conceived of the idea, and then January when I actually released it. The prayer book itself has evolved, but people work in their prayer books. I always emphasize that. Daily practice happens one day at a time. It doesn't happen a thousand days at a time. <laughs> so if today is your first day, that's totally fine. It doesn't have to be a thousand-day process. And if someone had told me when I thought of it in December, when I woke up that morning, if they said, you're going to now do this for the rest of your life, I would have said, mm, sounds like too much. You know, like too much of a commitment. <laughs> if somebody had said, oh, you're going to have to create at least a thousand days worth of content for the people, I would have been like, yeah, no thanks. So starting it in a 30-day chunk, I found is a really powerful invitation because every 30 days you're invited to re-engage. You're invited to shake things up. You're invited to change what you're doing. Every 30 days you're invited back in. Every day you're invited back in, really. So that started January of 2021. I continued to offer the practice all the way. It's still going strong. Like I said, we just passed 1,000 days in September, but for other people it's day one and that's Okay. And from that writing, so I created a deck, uh, the 30 Days of Goddess Daily Practice Deck. So there's a deck of cards that goes with it. And then I also wrote the book, 365 Days of Goddess, as a daily devotional companion. So basically, there is a message in the book for every day of the year. So when you get it, you can open it up to, say, October 11th, and you can just read what's there. So it helps form a devotional anchor point sort of to the day so if you don't have if you don't have a lot of time to be doing a bunch of art or having a bunch of rituals you can get your book you can open to the day that uh, the day of the month that it is and you can read the message there and take a moment to either offer it out loud or just put a hand against your heart and receive what that prayer or that blessing or that message of the day is so the three messages about this book is really intended as a daily devotional companion for your spiritual journey
0: and so it's not particularly a different goddess every day. It's more
2: no, a no. sense
0: of it's more a sense of spirituality that it's
2: more may or may not, not involve
0: day. goddess. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Right. Okay, cool. Yes. And so I, I explain that at the beginning of the book that you're welcome to address the prayers in it to a specific goddess. Some of the prayers do use goddess in them, but a lot of them are more a more of gen, a general sense of the sacred. So you're welcome to uh, actually offer the prayer like on to a goddess in particular, or to um, just receive it as a blessing for yourself or offer it to others. So it's intended yeah. as a as a companion on that spiritual journey. Mm-hmm right,
0: right, well, and and I uh, you know and and I want to you know talk about sort of a parallel topic you know to everything mm-hmm. you know we've been sharing I mean you know we you know we've been dropping these hints and clues about about it, uh but the it is um you know the the priestessing you know the a priestessing mm-hmm. today um you know, what do you think that looks like today molly uh and is it different than it was? you know, maybe 20 or 30 years ago when we first started.
2: Yeah, I do think priestessing has evolved. And one of the things that I really find that is important, that has always been important about priestessing to me is, you know, in, like a, a witch, for example, is a solitary path. Or can be. A, a witch can be a solitary or a communal path, but it's a self-defined experience. Priestessing has a, a community element. It always has a community aspect. The And we can be priestesses of our own hearts. We can be priestesses with our own families, that kind of thing. But And we can self-priestess. To each other, to one, or to ourselves, but in many ways, priestessing is a communal experience. Like you, you are offering something to a community, and you, and the community is seeing and receiving something from you. So there's a community aspect to priestessing that I find is really central and really important. It's not priestessing is not a solitary path. It's not a solitary experience. There's a community aspect, and in the olden days, so to speak, when I first started out, I always felt like that community had to be in person. I felt like it was people that you had to be able to join hands with. You had to be able to stand around the fire with them. You had to be able to sing with them. There had to be a face-to-face component for me to have it feel like it was a real connection, so to speak. And I still have a deep heart, deep deep place in my heart for face-to-face connection i don't i think there's you know it's incredibly powerful to stand hand in hand around a fire together like that's really important but in as the years have gone on and as my own practices and offerings have evolved i've come to see there really can be powerful connections online as well and even as you do with your show or as any of us authors do with our books, like those things enable us to reach beyond our own community's borders, our own household, our own local situation. Those books and podcasts and and Zooms and online rituals, they enable us to extend our hands metaphorically outward to the whole world. And so to me, that's how the sense of of community priestessing has evolved in that I can reach out my hand, my metaphorical hand, to people in any state or any country through technology, through being able to do online events. So I still have an in-person circle. I, I still think that's incredibly valuable. I have my circles with my family. I also have a small circle with some friends, and then I have a larger circle that so far we got we really took a a hit in the pandemic years in terms of our ability to meet uh, regularly and face to face but in this year i've been rebuilding our we're, we do a seasonal so we do just a four four times a year seasonal retreat circle together in person and that is like i said the, the great the larger group of like about twenty of us that get together for for retreats and rituals and then but i've also So I still have those in-person connections. I still think they're extremely powerful. I'm not in any way suggesting that we should give up on in-person connection. I think it's very important. But I have also started to do, I do an online circle once a month, and I do a weekly live, a weekly live on Facebook with my um, Patreon community. And I have found that those things really allow you to gather in the virtual living room with people that you would never actually meet in real life because you're in too far-flung locations. So I consider myself to be a late adopter to online Ritual work because I was so attached to the power that I experienced with face-to-face ritual. Like, I had so many magical and wonderful experiences with face-to-face groups that I didn't want to – I didn't want to have to move to online. Like, I love getting together with real people. And uh, so it took me a while, but I finally started to see that there's some real – there's real power that can and real magic that can be made through virtual connections as well, especially because it allows us to extend – those metaphorical hands farther than we can in, person. yeah, and yeah, we can and really, we can yeah. really connect. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, there's a and lot and of magic. We've had
2: some really powerful experiences.
0: Yeah, and we can do things with people we might not ever have thought we might mm-hmm. be able to get together with and uh, and Absolutely. actually do these things. Um, you know, as we were saying before the show started, um, uh, you know, it, it, priestessing in the age of TikTok, however, um, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I I still hesitate to um i don't know just turn the camera on myself you know there's something mm-hmm. about that i st- I still find intimidating and um, uh, and i shouldn't you know and, and maybe i'll maybe I will at some point work around it, but it feels like today in order
2: to reach people that that's you know, we we have to evolve with the technology, right? Well, and I don't uh, the, my uh, my objection to TikTok comes from like I don't really want to be a performing monkey, you know, like I don't want to be a dancing yeah. bear for people, and I also don't want to distill something that I feel like is really complex and powerful and deep, like my own walk with the goddess and my own spiritual path. Like it's about depth, it's about depth and connection and regular devotion and showing up. Like, like in authenticity and full open-hearted presence, and I feel like when we reduce those kinds of things down to uh, one-minute one-minute videos or thirty-second videos, or we're trying to take something that's deep and complex and we're trying to turn it into something snappy, we're trying to turn it into like a sound bite or something that will grab the people's attention and kind of like quickly quickly snare their attention, but where's the meat? You know, like where's the depth? Where's the juice to that? So I still remain a little skeptical of things like TikTok in terms of you can you can make the initial connection with people that way but i don't find that you're ever going to like go deep there's because there's no juice like you got to have the juice comes from being willing to to dig in to get deeper and not to just jump on to the next thing and i see i right. feel like it's unfortunate that our culture inc- encourages such a fragmentary way of engaging with the world one of the things i write and one of the things that i think is extremely important back to the daily practice thing is that our Attention. Our attention is our most powerful magic. Our attention is our most powerful magic. It's our most powerful prayer, and it's our most powerful spell that we can cast. Is that attention? And it's the and it's irreplaceable. Like, our attention is what we have, and so reclaiming our scattered attention from all the things that clamor at us for it, for for it like that. Our attention is the currency of social media. And our attention is the currency of that's what's being bought and sold on places like TikTok is our attention. And so to reclaim that attention and call it back to us, this is our power. This is our magic. This is our attention. And then to choose skillfully and wisely where to use it, that is a powerful act of resistance in a culture of fragmentation to reclaim our attention as our own and decide where to use it. And it's so hard because that is what Every, everybody out there is trying to get a piece of your attention, <laughs> and you've got to yeah. call it back. Yeah. You've got to call it back. Well,
0: and also, <laughs> you know, I mean, people sit there and scroll, you know, incessantly, mm-hmm. and um, I, I don't know. It just feels like um, how, I, I don't know, how can you go deep in, in 30 seconds or a minute? You know, yeah. it feels like it sort of cheapens <laughs> something that's sacred you know? Right. That's Um, what I feel like, but I also
2: suppose it might spark something. I also suppose the 30 seconds, maybe it sparks something that becomes depth so I guess you could see I don't want to totally dismiss it it could possibly spark something that becomes depth but that's what I encourage for people too Is like just you know leave your phone plugged in and turned off like uh, leave it inside and put it face down and do not look at it before you have in before you have stepped outside and made some kind of connection with the sacred in yourself in every day make that connection first because as soon as you invite the company of other minds as soon as you invite um as soon as you invite other people's attention in you are tethered to that and we all deserve some time every day where we exist untethered where we are untethered and we are here in our own lives as we are so 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 important i really think it's the most powerful magic there is is to be present in your own life without the company of other minds and without being tethered to something that's trying to co-opt your attention
0: yeah, yeah, the sacredness of the silence. I mean, uh, I, mm-hmm. I know it annoys people, but, you know, I don't even text, and I don't feel bad about mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, because <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I don't want to feel like uh, I am tethered to... Uh, Mm -hmm. anyone you know 24-7 but anyway uh, Molly I have enjoyed all the uh, you know the insight and wisdom that you've shared with listeners today but we're coming to the close and I want to give you the last word Uh, is there anything that I haven't thought to ask that you think might be valuable or important to leave listeners with and also how do they reach you make sure you share that as well
2: Okay, well, um, one of the ways to get involved with my daily practice resources is just to go to 30daysofgoddess.com, and that will get you started from the beginning. <laughs> so there's all kinds of resources there at 30daysofgoddess.com. And I am also available at com, which is my main business website. But I'd really suggest 30 Days of Goddess to get going with uh, daily practice and small magic and everyday sacredness and things like that. Uh, but the thing that I would like to leave us with is I had t- – I was thinking about the you know there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of hardship in the world there's a lot of suffering there's a lot of grief there's a lot of loss there's current events that are extremely traumatic that are going on and I know it can be really easy to lose touch with our own hope and our own magic and our own joy in the face of so many struggles and we even might feel like sometimes it is Um, you know disloyal or spiritually bypassing or something to still persist in looking for magic and discovering beauty and being alert to enchantment when there's so much pain and hardship in the world at all times. And so one of the things I want to to leave people with is that I still think like even when there's distress, even when there's sorrow, even when there's despair, that faith still has a place, trust still has a place, and hope still has a place. And that if I we, I know there's strife and I know there's sadness But if you can just rest your own two hands against your heart, let that be the reminder that you need that the pulse of the sacred still beats and the chord of the sacred, the holy yet chimes. It's right there in your own skin. And we can't give up. We can't give up on that, on that connection. Because if we do, that's just one more light of the sacred that goes out in the world. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Wilson. And Molly, thank you so much for your devotion over the years, for being a leader in the community, for all the wisdom you put out, and, um, and your willingness to uh, be supportive of other people and, uh, and share it with the world. I mean, uh, you're, you know, you're making a difference, and um, thank you very much.
2: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate our
0: conversation. Okey-doke, then. Um, Until next book. You let me know when the next one comes out, okay? (laughs)
1: Okay. (laughs) Thank you. All (laughs) right. Okay,
0: bye-bye. Bye-bye. So if you you were uh, listening last week and uh, trying to hear my interview with Dale Allen, uh, you know it didn't happen, and it turns out it didn't happen for a very unusual reason. You might recall... um, it, you know, We waited like about 15 or 20 minutes for Dale to actually get on the line with us, and the circuits uh, just kept saying, busy, busy, busy. Well, turns out, um, I don't know if you remember, but um, that was the day they were having that national test. Uh, Sending a message to everyone's cell phone and it was just about that time that it was all happening So we are pretty confident that that's what had all the circuits busy and made it impossible for Dale to actually call back in So uh, just a really weird thing but uh, Dale is going to be back Uh, I believe um, I forget now whether we I think we scheduled her to come back in January So you will uh, have the opportunity opportunity to hear her talk about her one woman show uh, in our right minds and also about the work that happened at the parliament this year so it um, you know you won't miss it it's just going to be a bit delayed and um, that's uh, what actually happened okay well um, that about does it uh, for me today Uh, dear listeners I want to thank you for tuning in I know especially these days with all the podcasts out there you have a lot of uh, of choices And uh, I certainly appreciate uh, Your listener loyalty So as always uh, In an homage to uh, Sekhmet, our lion-headed Egyptian goddess of strength Courage, tenacity And healthy boundaries Um, We pay tribute to her In our exit here So until next week uh, When I interview Cynthia Singleton About intuition Have a wonderful week And um, You know, I'm sure you're busy with this Samhain season. Um, You know, just have a wonderful time and uh, do the best to take care of yourself, self-care, and also um, be in gratitude and uh, take care of your loved ones around you. Okay, here, Homage to Sekhmet, Am Sekhmet by Abigail Spinner McBride.